You're listening to TIP. Progress beats everything. Time on the task over time. If you can show up every day and move it forward just one foot, you will outpace most other human beings who just can't sustain any kind of long race. In this week's episode, I talk with best-selling author Jay Papazon about how to find your one thing, stay focused, avoid being misled by common but incorrect time management practices, how to delegate, and much, much more. Jay Papazon is the best-selling author who serves as the vice president of strategic content for Keller Williams Realty International, the world's largest real estate company. He is also vice president of Keller Inc., and co-owner, alongside his wife Wendy, of Papazon Properties Group with Keller Williams Realty in Austin, Texas. Jay joined Keller Williams Realty International, and in 2003, he co-authored The Millionaire Real Estate Agent, a million-copy bestseller, alongside Gary Keller and Dave Jenks. His most recent work with Gary Keller on The One Thing has sold nearly 2.5 million copies worldwide and garnered more than 500 appearances on national bestseller lists including number one on the Wall Street Journal's hardcover business list. It has even been translated into 41 different languages. The Millionaire Real Estate Investor is one of my favorite books of all time, and I also really like The One Thing, and both of these books were authored by none other than Jay Papazon. So it's safe to say that I was super excited to get the chance to talk with Jay himself. Jay certainly didn't disappoint, and I really enjoyed our conversation. I hope you guys enjoy it too and that it helps you find your one thing. You're listening to Real Estate Investing by the Investors Podcast Network, where your host, Robert Leonard, interviews successful investors from various real estate investing niches to help educate you on your real estate investing journey. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Real Estate 101 podcast. As always, I'm your host, Robert Leonard. And with me today, I have a very special guest, Jay Papazan. Jay, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm not really much of a big resolutions person myself. I personally believe that you shouldn't wait until an arbitrary day or time like a new year to start working on your goals. But I did say to myself as 2022 rolled around that this had to be my year of really focusing on my one thing. Focus is like, without a doubt, my biggest problem. I can never just focus on one thing. So of course, one of the first things I did was grab my copy of your book, The One Thing. So for anybody that's watching the YouTube version, I'm holding up a copy of it here. I've read it in the past, but I needed to revisit it. And on the first two pages is a quote that says, you chase two rabbits, you will not catch either one. And that hit me right in the chest. When we're trying to focus, how do we find our one thing? It's kind of the heart of the book. We won't skip all the way there, but basically you just have to take a moment and ask. And I spent a lot of time, we spent almost four and a half years researching and writing the book. And I was worried that folks really would be lost. And what I found now, having taught this to tens of thousands of people over, it's almost nine years since the book came out, that most people do know their one thing, but they're so busy triaging tasks and chasing obligations and opportunities, they don't have any reflection time to build in to go, what should I be focused on? And in my experience, when people pause, just even... I mean, that's one of the good things about the new year, right? There's a rhythm that we have, the beginning and ending of things, whether it be a year, a decade, a month, 
a week, we kind of use those as arbitrary moments to kind of reflect back and look forward and kind of cast ourselves forward. So I think it first starts with, you've got to have the space to look at what's on your plate and identify the thing that's usually the most important, but it's often hiding in plain sight. There's a quote in there, the things that matter most are not the things that scream the loudest. And I find that to be very true, especially if you're an entrepreneur, right? You're wearing multiple hats and it can get confusing, downright confusing on any given day trying to figure out your true priority. We've both mentioned already two quotes from the book, and I was going through my notes of the book, and I haven't finished it yet in this new year, but I already had, I was looking at the notes and I was reading it on my ebook and it tells you what page it's on. And it's like page 23, 23, 23, 20. I'm like, geez, I highlight a lot on one page. And then it's like 25, 25. I'm like, wow, I highlight a lot on this page. There's there's so much good content in the book. So let's assume that, and we're going to break down more how to find your one thing, but let's assume that we're able to successfully implement that. And we found our one thing. One of the things that I struggle with, and I think a lot of people do is how do we stay focused on, on that one thing? How do we fend off all the almost inevitable shiny object syndrome things that are going to come about? Sure. We try to, I mean, I think the success of the book, a lot of the ideas aren't actually radically new, but we tried to put them in a framework where people could actually take action on them. I'm pretty pragmatic. Like I love to read books. You can see the shelves behind me. If you're watching this on YouTube, I'm surrounded by them. I have three more bookshelves just like it. And I'm always got a book under my nose. And so I just think that people look up and it's simplicity is far underrated and it's hard to do. So basically it goes like this. You have a goal, right? So you're like, okay, I would like to get my podcast into the top 10 in the next five years. You have to break it down. We usually we have a process for that. We can go into if you want, but based on that, what do I have to do this year, this month, whatever the time period is? And then you want to ask the question, what's the number one activity? This is the 80-20 principle, right? Pareto's law. What is the number one activity that I can pursue that will make that outcome happen? And for most jobs, there's usually a clear number one, right? If you're a writer, you need to be reading and writing, right? It's just, that's the activity. It's not like you show up and because you took a great approach that day, the magic happens. You got to write every day and the magic happens. And it's the same in almost everything else. If you're a coder, you're coding, right? You're just, there's an activity if you study success that really screams at you. Most people, without any of the, I kind of went at it sideways there, going all the way out to five years, but most people, if you just ask them the straight up question, what's the number one activity that we can contribute to your success? It's an activity, not a goal, activity. What is the thing that drives the needle? Most people actually have an answer if they think about it. Here's where the simplicity kicks in go to your calendar and start blocking time to do that thing. We call it time blocking, but we're actually really, really effective at following our calendars. I don't know about you, but I don't have a lot of alerts on my phone or my watch. But one of the ones that I have not silenced is the 15-minute reminder that says, you've got a meeting coming up. I actually set it for an hour earlier for this podcast, right? So that I would make sure that I had proper room to think and prepare. But we know that that transition's coming. And during Zoom, a lot of us have just been wall-to-wall. We know how to follow our calendar, even if we don't like it. So make sure that the activities that you believe contributed to it, first and foremost, are on your calendar. And then you have to live it and defend it. And I could go through a much longer song and dance. But really, if I look at your calendar, are your goals reflected on it? And for most people, that is not true. I don't know if you've ever seen this movie, but there's a movie called Big Fat Liars. came out in the early 2000s. 
in the movie, there's a guy who lives exclusively by his, basically it's an old cell phone. I don't even remember the name of it. And uh, it's almost like a Blackberry. And he lost his phone in the movie and he had no idea what was what he was doing with his life now because he literally lived exclusively by his phone. And that's kind of like how I am. But I don't schedule my work like I just schedule meetings and maybe the gym, but I don't schedule tasks. And I think that's one of the big things that I need to take away from what you're saying in the book is really schedule and time block those tasks into my calendar. My life changed pretty measurably when I started working with Gary Keller, the co-author on the book. His name's in bigger letters for a reason. He's a self-made billionaire. But when I first interviewed for the opportunity to work with him, the first thing he asked to see was my calendar. So this is all the way back. And I guess it would have been early 2002. And I think I was just starting into the world of digital. I held off on cell phones. I got a trio, like the kind of a Palm Pilot knockoff. But I still kept a paper calendar. And it was kind of shaped like a checkbook, if everybody even knows what those are. But it would fit in my back pocket. And I could see the whole week. And I'm kind of an introvert. So I just wrote down my to-dos. Like, what is it that I have to get done this week? And I would usually allocate different days for core activities. And I remember Gary just flipping through my calendar and asking questions. I mean, it was very nosy. But I had no idea until many years later what he was doing. Most people see their calendar, right? Their appointments as opportunities to meet with other people. And in his world, his effective but simple strategy is that the most important meetings on your calendar are the ones with yourself to do your most important work. So those are the first calendars that go on actually after vacation. We always try to put vacation down first so we don't burn out. But right after that, you attack it and you say, when am I going to do my core activities? And when am I going to reflect on my goals? And if you have those three things, vacation, one thing time and planning time on your calendar and can hold those three appointments, you can go a long, long way in this life. Talking from a tactical perspective, is this something we should be doing on, should we Sunday nights? Should we schedule our week ahead? Should we go into our calendar on Sunday nights and schedule it our whole week? Should we do it the night before just for the next day? How do we tactically do this? Sure. That's a great question. I have a framework that's evolved, right? Because my wife, my family, and I, like when you start researching a book in Gary's world, you have to become your own guinea pig, your own test pilot. So we've been living this for some time. And one of the habits my wife and I had formed before this was actually an annual goal setting retreat. We had two kids 16 months apart. It was tough. We both had big jobs. And we just realized she gets all the credit. She goes, like, we need to step out of our day to day and actually get on the same page. And we've been doing that for 15 years now. On a big level, sometime around November, it's kind of getting late. December's too late. In January, the new year's already started. Sometime October, November, you're going to find at least one weekend where I'm going to block it off very early in the year. And that's my planning retreat. And I try to get out of the house, usually with my wife, because we're a team. And we try to get aligned on where we're going, you know, five years out and based on that, what's happening the following year. That's the first meeting in terms of your big planning. On a weekly basis, anytime between Friday and Sunday night, my wife and I have settled into a rhythm, you know, kind of like a Sunday brunch ritual for us. Sometime around 11 30, 12 o'clock, we're both on with our laptops on the couch. We have our calendars and we're comparing notes. By contrast, I know a lot of people that do it on Fridays. They end their week by kind of tidying up. What did I get done? Now, based on that, what do I have to do the next week? And in fact, in our training company, we built a training company out of this. Jeff Marshall, who's running that today, he requires everyone who reports to him before noon on Friday to have their goals set for the following week. 
And the idea is that no later than noon on Friday, people could be asking for people's time that they need to get their goals. We were joking about getting on this podcast together. I usually have to reschedule a lot. If you're really successful, I'm not saying that's me. If you're trying to be really successful, your calendar tends to be pretty full. If you wait till Monday to get on my calendar, it's really hard. So getting ahead of it. So I actually, I haven't done it. I've done it for many years on Friday afternoons. I've now settled because my wife and I do it on Sundays. I'd advocate sometime on Friday, you know, while you're wrapping up your priorities for the week, start asking what's carrying over for next week. What does my calendar look like? So I can start getting time with the people I need to achieve my goals. That would probably feel like a really safe best practice. I'm very much a planner. So I love this idea of time blocking, putting everything into my calendar. I love it in theory, but what I struggle with in practice is it almost makes it feel very rigid. And so let's just say I schedule a task for 30 minutes and then it takes 45 minutes or what do I do then? Like, do I just bump things out? Then I have this like almost undue stress on myself. And I know I shouldn't really put that stress on myself, but then I'm like, oh, what do I do? And, or what if it's shorter? And so how do you deal with things almost never taking as long as you plan? We can go down the planning fallacy and a million other things. Well, first and foremost, a big mistake I see people make, all right, it's called the one thing. And almost immediately when I find out when someone says, your book doesn't work for me, I find out that they violated the cover of the book, right? They haven't really internalized because our world doesn't line up around us. They're trying to time block everything. In the beginning, identify, it's meant to be a productivity book. It's a workbook. But I'll tell you, I told Gary after the first three years, I was like, I think we set out to write a business book and we wrote a health and fitness book because a lot of people what they needed to address before they even got to the office was their physical health and energy. And they wanted to start, but figure out what your number one priority is, go to your calendar and just make sure you got it covered. And you don't have to do it all. I usually say, establish the beachhead, right? You get 30 minutes of exercise in. Would I love to be hammering it in the gym for 90? Sure. But when you're building the habit of showing up, start small. For your work activities, don't try to do everything. I want to keep my mornings full of my priorities and my afternoons open to meet with people, help people, triage things that ran over. I don't know. Give it a lot more time than you think it needs because a lot of times you'll show up. You won't be inspired. It won't happen. You'll have to warm up. You'll do all the piddly things, but then you'll at least make progress. And I'll just tell you, progress beats everything. Time on the task over time. If you can show up every day and move it forward just one foot, you will outpace most other human beings who just can't sustain any kind of long race. So don't overthink, oh my gosh, I time blocked 45 minutes and I needed an hour. Great. Knock out 45 minutes, carry over the 15 to the next day. You can always adjust your time blocks. It's not about having a perfect day. It's not even about having a perfect month or a perfect year. You want to have a great career. And that's a much larger time frame. I can't remember the quote. There's like a famous quote about technology about how people overestimate the impact in the year and underestimate its long-term impact. I think if you flip that towards ourselves, I think people massively overestimate what they can accomplish in a single year, and they really underestimate what they can accomplish in five, which is not a long time in the grand scheme. Yes, you can try to win the day, but try to win that time block make progress, and then carry it forward to the next. And I think you'll, be, you'll have a healthier sense of time blocking. But if your whole day is blocked and you're just jumping from task to task, you're going to drive yourself crazy. There's this thought process that if you really want to know something, you need to ask why multiple times. So if somebody tells you mm-hmm. something, you say why, and then they give you a response on why, and you keep kind of going down that path. 
Does the one thing work that way in that you figure out kind of from a very high level, okay, this is my one thing. And then maybe you need to drill down a little bit more. This is that next one thing. And then you drill down and down and down. Okay. This is the one thing for the day. Is that kind of the the thought process behind the one thing there? It's pretty far back in the book. We have like an iceberg kind of visual in there. And like, I know poor icebergs, they just always get used for the same metaphor. But when you see someone who's really productive, we've kind of found a pattern that the people who are the most productive at the very base level of the iceberg, they're really clear about their purpose, like their bigger one thing. Like, why am I here? What am I pursuing? What does all this mean? It's the big why. And because they're clear about that, they have a really intense sense of priorities that leads to this productivity. Activity and productivity are not the same thing. Productivity is acting on your priority. When we make progress on our priorities, we are being productive. Activity can fool us. Hey, I had a busy day. I was running around, but you didn't really move the needle, right? So as long as we have that contrast, but when you know what you've said yes to, those bigger things, like, why am I here? Why am I working so hard? Why do we want this business to succeed? It's not about money. It's about something bigger. When you say yes to that, it makes it, the no's a lot easier. Like Your priorities start to really get apparent. When we wrote the book, I'll just give you an example because I'm a writer. The book is about 220 pages, right? It, we wanted it to feel like maybe not quite an airplane read, but something that someone could digest in a relatively short amount of time. When we dropped off the manuscript, it was over 440 pages long. And I remember our publisher, Ray Bard at the time, he was very funny. He goes, hey guys, when someone buys a book called The One Thing, they don't expect the door stop. So apply the book to the book and get back to me. And over about three months, we cut about 200 and cut the book almost in half. And that was hard, but we asked the question, what if fundamentally we want people to achieve from this book? And the number one thing we wanted for them to do was to ask the question, what's my one thing? So what's on the back cover? You just held it up. Like instead of testimonials and all the things we could have done, we got the question. Because the habit we want you to form is to start your days, to start your weeks with asking, okay, of all the things I could do, what's the one thing I should do? And that habit will really take you a long ways. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsors. Hey, everyone. It's Patrick, your host of Millennial Investing. Every year, my buddies and I do a guy's trip to escape the cold and dreary Ohio winters. Once we pick our destination, without fail, we all jump on Airbnb and find an incredible place to stay. We just got back from an amazing trip in Palm Springs, California, and our Airbnb home was a huge part of creating memories we'll never forget. I loved it so much, I'm taking my family back to Palm Springs for spring break, and we're staying in an Airbnb home my kids fell in love with and picked out themselves. While I was there, I had the realization that my own home could be an Airbnb. It's an excellent way to earn some extra cash, whether you're saving up for your next vacation, paying off some bills, or investing. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. That's airbnb.com slash host. Hey guys, have you ever wondered if there's an AI tool like ChatGPT specifically built for the stock market? A tool that not only does the research and analysis for you, but also allows for dynamic discussions? Well, wonder no more. Meet Meka, your AI-powered stock research assistant, now enhanced with real-time stock data. Let Meka do the heavy lifting for you to significantly reduce your research time. And the best part, Meka is 100% free. Ask Meka questions like, Explore the financial health of Apple through a summary of its balance sheet. Compare the financial statements of Apple and Tesla. What is the analyst price target for Microsoft? 
What is the social sentiment analysis of Amazon and millions of other queries right at your fingertips? Visit Meka.com. That's M-E-Y-K-A.com. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting fundrise.com slash millennial investing. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at fundrise.com slash flagship. This is a paid advertisement. All right. Back to the show. Is there a part two of the one thing coming out with those 220 pages that got cut? They've shown up in my keynotes and our training, right? It wasn't that they were useless facts. We had case studies in there. It just wasn't that it drove home the core, core, core ideas. You know, in the beginning of the book, we tell the lies. And it's really like, what are all the ideas that get in the way of doing this? What's the big core idea? Figure out your one thing, time block it. And then how do we live it over a longer period of time? Those are kind of, to me, in my mind, the three parts of the book so that people could get the bad stuff out, get the good stuff in, and then have some sort of rhythm that they could leave with the book. But it's all out there. I'll just tell you something funny because it's almost April 1st. Maybe it's after April 1st when people are listening to this. I think about three years after it came out, everybody was wanting sequel, sequel, sequel. And we actually created a cover for one more thing and put it out there like everybody. But it was kind of funny. Our Korean publisher started frantically calling our foreign rights agents. It's like, why didn't you let us know this book was coming out? And we were like, no, it's April Fool's. It's a cultural thing. It's just a joke. That is too funny. I would have pre-ordered it for sure. With Gary, you were also part of the Millionaire Series, the Millionaire Real Estate Investor, the Real Estate Agent. A lot of people listening to this show will be working a day job, a regular W-2 job. They'll also, a lot of them have a side hustle where it's not related to real estate, but then a lot of them are also real estate investors. They're probably struggling and I know they probably are because I am myself is how do you pick your one thing when you have your one thing for real estate or your side hustles and you also kind of have your one thing at your job? How do we apply a one thing mentality to these kind of situations? First off, I'll just say I'm a W-2. I am. I actually like being a part of a team. I own businesses, right? I have some 1099 income, but I am fundamentally a W-2, right? And my wife and I have made the decision to try to live on my salary and everything else we use to invest and magnify. And that's created some lifestyle discipline for us. So early on, when we were younger and really in the build stage, the first disciplines we kind of learned were how do we live on less than we earn? Like there's two ways to be financially free, right? You can have more income than you need to live, or you can live like a monk so that you don't need much income to live, right? And we kind of did a little bit of both. We shrunk our lifestyle and we made sure that we were saving as much as we could so we could go put that stuff to work. And we both did side gigs. For like the first three or four years, I had at least $10,000 in net income coming from side gigs. And you're giving up weekends, right? You're having to, you can't just say, I'm going to, I had this ethical dilemma. Gary Keller is my partner, but he's also my boss. When I'm at my W2, he doesn't own my time. I owe him my time and his attention. He's paying me to do a job. And if I'm doing a side gig at work, maybe it's what I was raised, but 
I kind of feel like I'm stealing. I want to make sure that I'm getting my job done. I'm nailing my job and then moving to those side gigs. Otherwise, you should just, if you can, as quick as you can, quit the job and go all in on your side gig. Most people would be surprised if they have a little savings, how quickly they can replace that income if they're not sitting on the fence. I just think you have to learn to say no to stuff. There was a lot of stuff because a lot of our investing, real estate investing was driven. How do we save the next down payment? Didn't get any new cars, didn't get the big screen TVs. There were a lot of lifestyle choices that we had to make, You know, not literally brown bagging it to lunch. That's not how you do it. But we made by saying yes to something, we said no to other stuff. So if you're going to have a side gig and you're going to honor your W-2, you need to start getting up early. I would always advocate if you want to write a novel while you're holding down a job, start getting up at 5 a.m., right? Get up early when there's no distractions. And I'm a night owl. I'm a writer. Like I thought all the inspiration happened after 2 a.m. So I just say that. But I've trained myself over the years to be productive in the morning. I'm up at 5 a.m. I knock out a lot of my personal priorities before I ever have to show up at work. You can also do it after, but you have a lot less control of your time in the afternoon and evenings. And that's when social calls, right? You're hungry to hang out with your friends, maybe to find that future spouse. And you're always tempted to cheat. There's nobody texting you at 5 a.m. You don't need to watch Game of Thrones or Yellowstone, right? Like those temptations don't really exist. If you're going to go ahead and crawl out of bed, you might as well make it worthwhile. So that would be my advice is don't even give up all of your weekends. Build a habit where before 8 a.m., when most workers expect you to show up, maybe 9 a.m., right? If you're lucky, get up a little earlier. You will have to go to bed earlier, but you can get up and knock out an hour, hour and a half every single day. What you just explained is the heart of what I think a lot of people listening to the show are dealing with. So what was your one thing in that situation? You had your, your side gigs, you were writing and your W-2. What did you say your one thing was? How did you use this process of the one thing to apply it to that situation? Well, my one thing is fundamentally, I started as an editor before I identified as a writer. I always wanted to write, but the first book I collaborated on with Gary and Dave Jinks, who's passed away this last year, we wrote The Millionaire Real Estate Agent, which has gone on to sell, I think, 1.6 million copies now. We wrote it in less than 100 days. They had a combined like 50 years of real estate experience, and they had an outline. But when I showed up, I was just kind of a writer slash editor. I was helping them organize their thoughts. I was getting it on paper. They were editing the crap out of me because their voices were very different. But over time, as I got to do more of the research with them, like with the millionaire real estate investor, I spent two years doing the research before I showed up in the writing room. And we were all writing together then. But early on, editors. So I was getting editing gigs. I had worked at HarperCollins. I had a decent network in New York at that time. And I remember the last book I took was a book on Bruce Arena, who was going to then be the coach for the US men's national team. Kind of a soccer weenie. I did Mia Hamm's book. I worked on Brandy Chastain's book and I had a chance to work on his book. And that ended up falling through. And another offer came through. And I just remember going to Wendy and going, I feel like my creative energy now needs to all be aimed at the partnership I'm in. I think I need to stop doing the side gigs around this skill and be married to this opportunity. And, but that took about three and a half, four years before I kind of earned the right to have a business opportunity at my job. We formed a company together and I started having more opportunity than just W-2 income. So I went all in on that to maximize it. But there's no magical moment, right? You just kind of know it's like, all right, I can make a paycheck 
$10,000. But if I write the next book with Gary and Dave, I get royalties for life. And that's a bigger long-term opportunity. And I started moving as much of my time as I could towards those bigger opportunities. I mean, I know that the world of writing may not be a parallel for other people, but here's one way to look at it. Is your side gig job income or business income, right? If you're literally trading time for money and you don't see a path, right, to have a system or software or other people leverage generating that income so that you start to get that magic leverage to it, then at some point you have to kind of make harder choices. But like, if I can write code and sell it, right, and get royalties, if I can get business income because I can hire someone to work that coffee trailer, right, and they're working it on the weekends and I just have to manage them, maybe you have to work the occasional weekend. Like I'm trying to get more out of my hours and magnify my dollars per hour. The beginning of your book talks about some of the ways that we're misled or derailed. And some of those are being told that we can multitask or that everything matters equally or that willpower is always on will call. Your book, The One Thing, says there are six lies between us and success. Tell the audience and I a few of the most common ways you see people being misled in this realm. Nobody argues that everything matters equally, but if you actually aren't working from priority, that's how you're treating it. You're just going to the next most urgent thing. You're allowing things that are urgent but unimportant to command your time, and they're commanding your best hours. The first thing most people do when they wake up is what? Putting you on the spot. We didn't rehearse this. So I'm just curious, what would your answer be? What do you think most people do when they first, when they first wake up? Check their phone. They check social and they check email. And one is just a pure distraction social, maybe unless you're, that's your profession, but email is almost always other people's priorities. And one of the core habits in our community we try to teach people to do is like, when you wake up, before you look at email, can you first look at your goals? I try to look at my goals in my calendar. So I know like, what was it that I was supposed to achieve today before I start potentially getting the path of other people's priorities? Because otherwise, you're going to start making commitments in your inbox that are actually violating the day you already designed last Friday. First off, everything doesn't matter equally. Identify what matters most. I guess this would be a good time to talk about the focusing question. It's the heart of the book. It's kind of why we have that on the back page. What's the one thing I can do such that by doing it, everything else is easier or necessary? What's the one thing? Not 10, not 20. And I found that our brains are really surprisingly good at narrowing it down, often getting to one immediately right? Oh, I should do that. Such that by doing it just means that it's a leveraged activity. There's something else that happens after. Everything gets easier or unnecessary. So you're looking for the biggest lever you currently have in your life to achieve your goal. And most people really want that unnecessary. But in my experience, things just get easier when you do your one thing. And when they get easier, a lot of times you can afford to have other people do them. And that's how they become unnecessary for you, but they probably still have to get done by somebody. You ask the question and you nail that down. And that's Pareto's principle. I hope everybody who's listening to this knows the 80-20 principle. We just did that on steroids, right? If you take the 20% of the 20% of the 20%, eventually you get to one thing that sits at the very top of the heap. And it's not that you don't do those other things. You just start there. Let's talk about that a bit more because your book says that the 80-20 rule, which is known as Pareto's principle as well, is as real as the law of gravity. And yet most people fail to see the gravity of it. Explain a little bit more in detail. What is Pareto's principle or the 80-20 rule and why it's so important? 
I could go into the history of it. There was a guy named Joseph Duran, who's a quality control engineer who kind of popularized it. And it became Predo's law instead of Duran's law. Not quite sure how that happened. But at least a lot of quality control engineers recognized that he was the dude that kind of saw the pattern. Originally, it showed up in compensation distribution, that not everybody in an organization was being compensated equally. And that followed this 18th century economist, Wilfredo Pareto, who had seen it that 80% of the land in Italy was owned by 20% of the people. And I'll just say that it's not the numbers 80 and 20 aren't magical. What's magical is you look at any system that's big enough to have any sort of numbers play, you'll find that a handful of things, usually one thing, has a disproportionate impact on the system. And if you can identify and harness that, you have a massive advantage. That's like why in software engineering, right? you clear the most prevalent bugs, not all of them. But if this impacts 100% of users, knock that one out first because that impacts the experience. You just start working based on this. But the reality is you have to stop and think. You have to look. What's the biggest lever? What's the most important thing? Of all of these things, where should I begin? Doesn't mean you don't do all of them, but if you start with the first, it just gets progressively easier. So I don't know how to, I can pin it on your shirt. You know, Gary had a sign in his office until my one thing done is done. Everything else is a distraction. He literally had that written in Sharpie in different places in his office as long as I've known it before the book was even around. But this idea of figuring out what is the one thing I should be focused on, that's kind of his superpower. And people say, oh, he can do that because he's Gary. No, he's Gary because he does that. And it's a really interesting thing to say, oh, Elon Musk can do that because he's Elon Musk. No, it's like he became Musk because he adhered to a few principles really hard in his life. And that manifested all of these other things. Yes, at a certain point, you can have four personal assistants trailing you, but that's earned. This is something that I, I need to get better at because every, almost every single day, I have anywhere from three to, say, five different things that are, quote unquote, have to ab- absolutely have to be done today. I really struggle with that because like today, I had a podcast interview right before this one and then, and then this one. So I had preparation that I had to do before both of those that I consider something that is essential. It has to be done before I can mm-hmm. do the podcast. And then recording the podcast are also essential. But I also have a flight at 6 p.m. tonight and I haven't packed yet. So it's also essential for me to pack because if I don't pack, I can't go on my flight. Right. So I really struggle with this back and forth of like, I have so many things that I feel are essential. And I guess I just need some more Gary Keller-esque abilities in my, in my life. Well, I think one thing that happens before you start playing this game at a higher level, it doesn't mean that I don't have those same things. Like I am notorious for waiting to the morning of my trip to start throwing stuff in my bag. And I'm a big guy. And so my wife looks and she's like, gosh, you've got so many clothes in there and we'll take them out. And I have the same number of article of clothing that she does, but mine are just bigger. So it bulks it up, but I'll just throw it in there. And here's the reality. If you don't pack well, what will you have to do at your destination? Buy more. Yeah. And it's not the end of the world. Sometimes it's kind of fun. That's always exactly what I say. I'm glad. It's funny you mentioned that because I always say like people stress about packing. And for me, I'm like, eh, if I forgot something, I'll just buy it. As long as I have my wallet, I mean, I'm pretty much good. You can start like with incremental systems, right? I think that that's where James Clear, he won the pandemic with his book, great book, Atomic Habits. But having spent a little bit of time with him and studied him long before the book showed up, I mean, he does live that. He's kind of, he works from systems and habits. And so if you know that you're traveling regularly, you know, just have a suitcase ready, right? Have your go bag. 
Like I've got like my toiletries thing is just a science now because like the one time you show up for a speech and you don't have a razor or whatever, like it is a pain in the butt, but like, I just have a little drawer and I stock all of that crap in there so that I don't worry about those pieces. I can throw them in my bag. All I have to do is pick like two outfits. I've got my sport coat that I know will pack. And you just start assembling a wardrobe that you know, I can throw this in my backpack and it'll come out looking like it's not wrinkled. I can go. So I've shortened that to where, you know, with lots of practice, it doesn't require much thought. And that is very much packing. That's an 80% activity. It actually doesn't have to happen. If you've got your license and a credit card, you theoretically could take that trip. And if it was between you and missing two weeks in France, you would do that in a heartbeat. You'd be like, crap, this is getting really expensive. I'm going to have to buy all my clothes when I'm there. But people lose their bags and they do that already. But your one activity, if you're building your business around this podcast, was preparing so that you could show up as a great host. I appreciate that. Thank you for doing it. It matters a lot to your guests and it makes them want to reflect. You know, I think Paul Moore, one of your guests, recommended me to you. And he wouldn't have done that if you hadn't shown up the way you do. And that's how like, you start to get a snowball, a positive, virtuous cycle in your life is by focusing on the right things. And over time, they do make things easier. But anyway, give yourself a break. You feel like the kind of person, and I'm kind of in that vein too, that you really want to get it right. You're very compelled, right? You, know, you hold yourself accountable at a high level, but a good mantra to put somewhere is perfection is overrated. Progress, progress over time. I promise you, like it's a, I heard Dave Ramsey say this once. He had had a dinner with Warren Buffett and he asked him what his favorite book was. And he said, The Tortoise and the Hare. And he goes, No matter how many times you read it, it still, it shouldn't surprise us, but the tortoise always wins. And just realizing if I can make incremental progress in a very relatively short period of time, you will look superhuman to most people. But in a given week, I mean, success is just a series of failures. Most really successful people are just a grab bag of anxieties that have been harnessed in a really positive direction. And businesses are all just universal messes. Nobody runs it perfectly, but the people who prioritize come out on top in the long run. It sounds to me that people, including myself, we need to schedule time to really think. Because as you just explained that to me, it became so obvious what my, my one thing was, right? And my schedule is so filled that I don't have that time to just sit and think. And I think if I spent the time, and I think a lot of people are this way, if they sat and just thought for 30 minutes, and you, you mentioned Warren Buffett, we study him a lot on the show. He says he has hours and hours every day. All he does is just sit and think. Yeah. I had a, early in my writing career, I met with a guy who wrote the book FedEx Delivers. And he was a guy from Memphis, my hometown, and my dad had set up the meeting. And something he said struck me is when you do creative work, kind of one of your core jobs is connecting the dots. But here's the trick. The person with the most dots to connect usually wins, which means I have to have a rigorous amount of time and schedule for digesting the dots, right? For me, that's books, sometimes podcasts. I don't have a long commute, so I don't get to listen to as many as I'd like, but I have to be very purposeful in assembling the dots so that later I can pull them together. So figuring out kind of what your core two or three habits have to be to be successful, it's wonderful. And it's also empowering when you know that those are the real drivers. And you are willing to give it faith because in any given week, it feels like that's a disaster. But over the course of a long period of time, you just have to tolerate everything else being a little less efficient so you can optimize those core activities 
And then all the other stuff starts to really kind of get in line behind the big dogs. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsors. Hey everyone, it's Patrick, your host of Millennial Investing. Every year, my buddies and I do a guy's trip to escape the cold and dreary Ohio winters. Once we pick our destination, without fail, we all jump on Airbnb and find an incredible place to stay. We just got back from an amazing trip in Palm Springs, California, and our Airbnb home was a huge part of creating memories we'll never forget. I loved it so much, I'm taking my family back to Palm Springs for spring break, and we're staying in an Airbnb home my kids fell in love with and picked out themselves. While I was there, I had the realization that my own home could be an Airbnb. It's an excellent way to earn some extra cash, whether you're saving up for your next vacation, paying off some bills, or investing. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. That's airbnb.com slash host. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting fundrise.com slash millennial investing. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at fundrise.com slash flagship. This is a paid advertisement. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Everything seems to be more expensive these days. I've noticed this at my own businesses that I've run. You'd be wise to find proven ways to cut costs and boost performance at the same time. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash mi. netsuite.com slash mi. That's netsuite.com slash mi. All right, back to the show. You've mentioned a couple of systems between time blocking, even just packing for trips. And I've heard you on other podcasts say that it's not just about saying yes or no to things. Really, it's about setting up systems. And one of those systems that you have is what you call your virtual FAQs. And I know you said that that has saved you a lot of time. What is a virtual FAQ and how can we set up systems in our lives to help with something similar? Most business people tend to answer the same 10 questions over and over again at nauseum. And because they're written from different people at different times, we don't always recognize that there's a real pattern there. So this, again, takes thinking time. A big block of creative time where you could go into your sent inbox and start sorting, right? I get requests all the time to be like on podcasts, right? So I built a system for it. 
you get requests around questions around certain books, right? There are certain books that tend to generate a lot of questions from our audience. You figure out what those are and you spend a little bit of time investing in a broad generic answer versus a specific one. And now you can copy and paste. And if you can afford, like we've got Cyberbacker Virtual Assistants is a company that I'm not an investor. I just know the founder and believe in them. So I've had virtual assistants. I've had virtual EAs, which I think is a different thing. And I have an in-person EA now. And when you can have low cost relative to your time, people to help you administer to those things, essentially, I've got a series of scripts just like a help desk would. This is the problem that presents. This is our standard reply. And you can just add, did that cover it? Do you have other questions? And sometimes you bounce between three things, but now those don't even reach my desk. I've got a few people administratively between me and the world. And at times you can use it with auto replies and other things to kind of get there. I was chatting with my EA. Now you can, I've noticed that on LinkedIn, you can do auto replies. And it really bugs me having to check the different social media outlets because I get a lot of speaking opportunities. People reach out to me and they don't necessarily go through my website. And so, okay, I don't want to miss out on those opportunities. But I just said, let's design. It's not in place yet, but let's design an auto reply that says, most of the people who reach out to me often have these three questions. Can Jay make an appearance on my podcast? Just put a link in there. Go here, fill out the form. If you'd like to see if Jay can speak at your event, go here. Like, What are the four or five reasons? If you're just connecting, yay, happy to be connected. There's a pattern. Like, I spend a lot of time on people that want to book me for an event or a podcast in social media. If I can set up that system, then I'm not in those inboxes as much and I'm not worried that I'm missing something. So you just ask, how can I automate this? How can I delegate this to a lower cost? I mean, I said it earlier, if you know what your dollars per hour are, if you make $100,000 a year, your dollars per hour is around $50, about half of what that bulk is. If you can delegate it out to someone who costs significantly less than that, you're usually moving ahead. My friend Ben Kinney makes a distinction. There's leverage and luxury. I will tell you that paying someone to mow my yard is luxury because the odds of me, like I don't need to be spending four hours in the Texas seat doing it anymore at this stage of my life. I can afford to have someone else do it. But also on Saturday afternoon, I'm not like writing a novel during that time. I'm probably relaxing or spending time with my family. But these tasks that happen during the workday, that's leverage. Can I automate it? Can I delegate it or just make it go away altogether? Those are the kinds of systems we're talking about. You've said that it can take upwards of 30 hours to delegate a one hour task. And I've never put numbers to it myself, but I've found kind of the same relationship. And I found that when I try to delegate a relatively simple task, like you just mentioned, the emails or direct messages, I probably get significantly less than you do, but I still get quite a few and I need a system for it. But what I find is that when I try to delegate that, it takes a lot longer than if I just did it myself. So what ends up happening is I end up just I just do it. I'm like, all right, this is just quicker. I'll just do it myself. And then it never gets delegated. Explain to us why it takes so long to delegate a one hour task and then why it's so important to still do it anyway. All right. Well, first off, I've said that, but I usually try to make sure I credit Rory Vaden. That idea came from his book. I think it's called Procrastinate on Purpose. Kind of in the back of it, he shares that he was sitting on an airline with someone And they shared that the reason most people don't delegate, it takes about 30 times as long as it takes you to do something is to teach someone to do it acceptably well. But that trade-off, that hour-long task, 
if every week you're saying, invest 30 hours or do it, in one year, you'll be negative a full workday or two, right? It's another 20 hours that you've taken on the task rather than delegating it. So it's a long game. Am I willing to invest up front to get all of those hours back? And that short circuits a lot of entrepreneurs because I'll tell you, entrepreneurs in general tend to be a little ADHD, right? One of our super strengths is noticing our environment and taking action on it. That's one of the reasons we are successful, right? So we don't want it to go away altogether, not the clinical version. I'm speaking anecdotally. If you have ADHD, I've got two kids. I'm sorry, but it also can be harnessed. And the other thing is we tend to be highly impatient, right? We want to get moving. And so it's really about that long game. The host of our podcast for many years is a guy named Jeff Woods. And together, we kind of worked out. It's like, look, our core job with teaching this book is teaching people how to invest their time. If you think about time as not something that you spend, but you invest, it makes those sorts of investments much more appealing. If each week I can knock and automate one task, in the short run, I feel busier and I'm making less progress. You look up in four or five months and you've got massive amounts of time that you've given back to yourself that you never get there without those investments or hiring someone to make those investments for you. That's the cheat. If you're just successful enough, most of us don't love to build systems. I'm kind of an engineering brain, so I like it. But the moment you can afford it, bring on a quality EA. An experienced EA has been building leverage systems for their executives for years. And the difference between the cost of a, an assistant and an EA is not as much as most people would think. For an additional 15 in today's market, maybe 20,000, you're going to get someone who's a whole category higher in terms of their excellence and what they can deliver back to you. And their job is to give you your time back, period. And a VA does not work that way. I like cyber backers because in our industry, the founder runs big real estate teams. So he trains them in advance to do a lot of the, the normal tasks. So he takes that burden off of you. But I think of a VA, you know, especially you have a second language, maybe sometimes it's barrier. You have to be very explicit not to run into errors. And so I just go straight to, I'm going to hire a part-time EA. I'm going to bring in someone who's very experienced and say, how have you kept other executives out of their inbox and not made them lose their mind with worry? That's a challenge that they want to, they live for those challenges and then accept their systems. They won't be exactly like you want them. Don't micromanage, just get out of the way. So have you found for systems like these that you need an EA rather than a VA? I think one of the issues is that I've defaulted to a VA rather than an EA and it hasn't always been the best experience. And so I think that's partially why I've kind of reverted back to doing it myself. I mean, if you do some research, there's books, virtual freedoms, a very popular one. They all say hire VAs. So I thought that that was the right way to go. But it sounds like maybe I'm, maybe the system and thought process that I was trying to implement isn't wrong, but rather the process by which I was doing it is wrong. And maybe I'll have more success with an EA. It's all about the individual you're working with. You know, my wife hired a VA recently that had run a bank. I mean, this person is so overqualified to be doing the work that she's doing, and she's delivering at a really high level very quickly. So I don't want to speak in generalities and throw every virtual assistant under the bus. But I will say, broadly speaking, you can expect that that'll take a bigger upfront investment. And what you're doing is you're making that investment of your time to save money because the dollars per hour is very attractive. I had a friend that had 11 VAs working in his business that didn't cost as much as one senior operations person. And so you look at that and you're like, oh, wow, that's so economical. It's so thrifty. And there's wisdom in that. If you can't afford an EA, then start with the VA. 
But you also, a lot of people don't think about it. Well, what if I shared, right, a fractional executive assistant? There are whole companies that deal in fractional executive assistants. I used one for years. I think it's called Base now, but it was 33 Vincent. And these were highly qualified EAs that you're getting for maybe 20 hours a week. And so you're able to make it a variable expense, which is what we want. We're in startup mode, but get a higher quality individual, right? So it doesn't have to be full-time assistants right up front. It could be part-time or it could be virtual. You can find ways to save, but you should insist to make a stand on having someone you can communicate clearly with and who can take an idea from you, hear the outcome you want and problem solve for that. The ideal relationship, and sometimes it's earned. It takes time to build that working relationship. Here's the outcome I want administratively, and then they go build the system and check in with you. You mentioned at the top of the show that you're a big reader. You know, you're a writer. You've written some of the best-selling real estate and business books. What books do you like to read? What books have had the biggest impact on your life? If anybody's watching, they can see a bunch of books behind you. If they're watching on YouTube, they can see a bunch behind you. Which of those books, maybe it's on one of your other three bookshelves, which ones have had the biggest impact on you? Well, it's actually the shelf right here. Like This is kind of like these two shelves in small ways are shelves that I find myself referring back to them frequently. right? So they tend to be, oh yeah, I mean, good to great. Atomic Habits made that shelf, Thinking Fast and Slow. That doesn't mean anybody should run out and get those books though. I would just say, figure out what you need to learn and then read with a purpose. Like I'm passionate. I mean, I'm a French English major. The fact that I've become an investor and a business owner is very low probability if people had known me younger, right? When I had John Lennon glasses and shoulder-length hair and was living in Paris as a translator, like that was not something people predicted. But you look up and you're like, okay, I need to start learning about this. When we wrote The Millionaire Investor, I interviewed 120 investors. And that in itself, I still have the binders and still go back and reread some of those interviews because like, you get to do this on a podcast. I was just on the phone, recording it, getting it transcribed, but it's the same sort of education. And if you go deep in a territory, over time, you'll get smart. So after that initial burst, when we wrote the book, I probably skimmed or read 50 investment books. I had to accelerate my education to get on even footing with Gary and Dave to write that book. But since then, every year, I probably read five new investment books. And I just space them out. A lot of them are for fun. And every now and then, you just get a great winner. Like in 2020, I read The Simple Path to Wealth by J.L. Collins, one of my all-time favorites. I read The Psychology of Money by Morgan Housel, like probably in my top 10. Like Every now and then, you just hit this gold mine and you're underlining everywhere in the books and just getting great ahas. So, But to do that, you have to read a lot. I try to read with purpose around the things that matter. And for me, it's usually time. How do I invest it better? I want to invest money better and do well there because for better or worse, it's kind of the currency of exchange for our lives. And for me, it's not even about lifestyle anymore. It's about how can we give as much as we want and health right, and relationships. Those are big topics I tend to hit. But my system, again, build a system. Every year, I set out to read 50 books. This is going back to, I think, 2009, and I've never done it. And every year around December, my wife's like, why don't you just read a bunch of short books? And I'm like, because that's not the point. The point is every week I'm looking up going, I need to keep moving this forward. And I love fiction. Every time I read a nonfiction book and I focus on it and take notes, I reward myself with a good detective thriller or a fantasy novel or something purely for fun. So it's almost exactly 50-50 
I just kind of read something from my mind and then something from my mind to unwind. And that's my system. And it's been serving me really well. I echo the same thoughts about JL. He's great. I had the honor of having him on the show, I think last year, and it was great. I love his book as well. One of the most impactful for me. I just wanted him to adopt me as like an honorary grandson or something. Like, I just like this guy, like what a great mental presence. And just, he just seemed like a really nice guy to hang out with. Well, it was kind of crazy. At one point he only lived like 20 or 30 minutes away from me. And I had no idea. Oh, wow. In this little state of New Hampshire. And I'm like, I had no idea. Cause if you look at his website, it's jlcollinsnh.com. So I asked him, I said, Hey, what is the NH? Like New Hampshire? Like I, I live in New Hampshire. He's like, yeah, actually, you know, and, and it just so happened that, uh, yeah, we were not too far. So it's too funny. But as we wrap up the show, I like to give people something really actionable. I think, you know, we're talking about reading books, all this theory, and I think education is really important, but I think people really need to get out and take action on what they're learning. So what would you say is the number one thing people listening to this show and even myself, what should we do when this episode is over to really get on the right path of focusing or focusing on our one thing? Maybe you took notes. Maybe you walked out of this with four or five ideas that you would like to implement. I want to build FAQs. I want to start time blocking. My admonishment would be start with one of the three or four things that you think you want to implement after hearing Robert riff on whatever it is I said. Great. What's the one that you want to make a stand around? And then go start allocating time to make that happen. It won't happen until you start allocating time. And as you pointed out, you'll probably under allocate in the beginning. Right? You think, I'm going to knock it all out in one Saturday afternoon, and you really just figure out the size of the problem that Saturday. It's okay. Go ahead and start blocking in regular time to start making progress towards that goal and to see how that works for you. And again, it's about progress. What I found is once people figure this out, wow, you know, just 30 minutes a day, I just bookmark 30 minutes a day, that's my thinking time. And I reflect and I journal, whatever that is. Like you pick something that can open up. Once people realize they have control over their calendar and they practice defending that little beachhead that they want to control, really importantly, they realize they can do it everywhere else. They realize that when they say to no people, when they say no to people, they're not going to be offended most of the time. Most people are thankful when you hand back their time. Hey, Robert, I know we were supposed to meet this week, but I really have to postpone it. Can we pick another date farther in the future? I'm behind on my goals. And I realize if I don't really hit it on Friday afternoon, I'm going to be in a world of trouble. Just honest, direct, straightforward. Most people, they'll be like, I'm disappointed, but they're actually relieved because they just got a Friday afternoon back to themselves too. And just like you, they're overbooked and overcommitted. Defending that calendar, learning that it's possible, it's a breakthrough for most people. Before we close out the show, I want to give you a chance to tell the audience if they don't already know, which I'm sure many of them do, but in case they don't, where's the best place to connect with you, find all your resources and all the great books that you've been a part of writing? Well, we've been talking about the one thing mostly. So I would go to the one thing.com with the number one, got all kinds of free resources and stuff there for people to play with if they don't feel like they want to get in the library and it's out of stock right now. I don't want them to have to drop 20 bucks on a buck to start this. They just need to go do it. And I've got a wonderfully Googleable name, Jay Papazan, all A's. And I think I'm the only one in the world, certainly the only one in the United States. So if they Google my name, they're going to find me on whatever their platform of choice is. And if they'll just be patient, they can reach out and we can connect. And if there's a reason for us doing it, otherwise, just go to the one thing.com and start small. To think big and start making progress today. 
I'll be sure to put a link to the one thing, the book that we've talked a lot about today in the show notes for anybody that's interested. But also check out The Millionaire Real Estate Investor. When I get a lot of people that reach out and ask me for advice on real estate and which books I recommend, that is always the number one book I recommend. It's probably my favorite real estate book. So Jay was part of writing that one as well. I recommend you guys check it out. I'll give you a little backstory on that. I know we're running close on time. When we wrote that book, I remember that it was towards the end of Gary's father's life. And he has a son and he was really reflecting on what is it that was really, really important for him to communicate around that topic. And so I actually think the best, most timeless part of the book is like the first 120 pages. We wrote other books, Hold and Flip with other people on the mechanics. But those first 120, 130 pages, I really felt like this is a self-made billionaire's kind of letter to a time capsule for his son. Like, this is what I want you to understand about money. This is what I want you to understand about investing. He put a lot of heart into that. He's a great writer. And I, I, I'm not his ghostwriter. We collaborate together. And there's a lot of, I think, timeless brilliance in those first pages. And I would give themselves like, it's a big book. Just pick it up and read the beginning. And then, then you can go and listen to Bigger Pockets and you can listen to your podcast and go down the wormhole of specifics. Yeah, it's one of those books, like you said, like your wife mentioned, why don't you just read a couple of short books? It's not one of those books you want to just rush through to add another kind of checkoff or number to your list. This is a book that you really want to thoroughly read and enjoy. It's one of my, like I said, one of my favorites of, of real estate. And but you should never read a book just to check it off. I agree 100%. The whole reason is to learn, right? Like listening to it on three times speed on Audible, you can say you read it. But what are you absorbing? How are you implementing it? That's, that's actually what makes books make you better is by reflecting, now what from this can I bring to my life besides just understanding? That was exactly one of my biggest failures, I, I would say, of the last three to five years is that one year I read like 75 books and I didn't do anything about it. I didn't take action. I barely remembered anything because I just read on Audible 2x speed or you know, yeah. it's just rushing through them. And I'm like, that, this is pointless. It's a vanity metric and it doesn't do anything. I need to slow down take notes, apply things. And that's why I added taking that action question uh, to the end of the podcast. I love that. That's great. I really appreciate it. Jay, honestly, it's truly been an honor. I've, I've read your books, read all of your content for a long time. So this is really, really great. I appreciate you joining me. Hey, thanks for having me. This has been a lot of fun. I love talking with a well-prepared host that actually knows his stuff. All right, guys. That's all I had for this week's episode of Real Estate Investing. I'll see you again next week. Thank you for listening to TIP. Make sure to subscribe to We Study Billionaires via the Investors Podcast Network. Every Wednesday, we teach you about Bitcoin, and every Saturday, we study billionaires and the financial markets. To access our show notes, transcripts, or courses, go to theinvestorspodcast.com. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any decision, consult a professional. This show is copyrighted by the Investors Podcast Network. Written permission must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting.